Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I'd uh, I'd like to say thank you uh, for inviting me to be here this week. It's been a joy to uh, dig into God's word with you. It's been a joy to uh, meet some of you, to catch up with others again, to hear of the ministries that you're involved in. Uh, it's been hectic. Uh, I've uh, found it a, a pretty tiring and, and busy time. Uh, last night I was invited to Northmead Anglican to uh, share the gospel uh, with uh, people there, many of whom had been going through a journey of cancer uh, or caring for, or praying for, visiting people who are. 
uh, after that event, there, there was a time of prayer, and they put up uh, on the on the overhead, uh, I think, over 20 names of people to pray for. Uh, it is the harsh reality of life that we live in. Uh, the Cancer Council says that one in two Australians will have cancer by the time they're 85. Uh, there's a big area and a big opportunity and a big crack in people's lives where the light can get in. And uh, I want to encourage you to take that up. I do thank Matthias for for uh, being willing to, to give those out. And uh, if you're in the back row and you haven't got one, you should come and sit in the front because I can see heaps of them. <laughs> uh, uh, pray with me as we look into this last part of God's word. Heavenly Father, please uh, help us through tiredness, through uh, distractions, through all sorts of things that may be going on in our lives to hear you speak to us now. Uh, we ask that you'll not only help us uh, to grasp this message, but that you'll warm our hearts, uh, that you'll encourage us to persevere, and that we'll be moved to share this great news of Jesus with those around about us. Amen. Well, Mission Awareness Week, what I've sought to do and hope to do again this morning is to uh, keep God's mission in front of you, uh, for us to see that God has a plan for his world uh, and that we are privileged to be involved in that. And, of course, over the last couple of days, we've seen it's a pretty heavy plan. Uh, we began by looking at what Chapter 20 said about hell, and we saw that it's something that's coming. We can't avoid it. <clears throat> it's going to be comprehensive. All people, the dead will rise, will come under that judgment. We see also that it will be catastrophic. Uh, people will be thrown into the lake of fire. People will be cast into the second death. People will be shut out into utter darkness. And, of course, the importance of the image is there, not to dwell on one, but to realise that this is to be separated from our God for all eternity. But it's a message that is not without compassion. And we were reminded that God shares this message, and Jesus in particular shares this message, so that people might escape the judgment of hell. We looked yesterday and the day before at the message of Revelation 21, uh, where we see that heaven is before us. And as we come to Christ, uh, so <clears throat> we are given a reality check as to what life is all about. Our world lives uh, under a painted facade, and the scriptures open up and expose the reality. A reality for now, but a reality of what's to come as well. Uh, a reality check that causes us to reorient our lives. And I talked about the importance of not only looking back uh, to what Jesus has done, but looking forward to what he has planned so that we can live now according to God's mission. Uh, we looked also at, at the wonderful relief that there is for those who trust in the Lord Jesus, a relief that we anticipate and that enables us to delay gratification to live in the service of God now. And finally, we saw that God is calling us to represent, to represent him and represent this great message of hope to our world. Um, now, you might have noticed along the way uh, that I did use a bit of alliteration. Uh, and I choose to do that, and, and I commend things like this to you, not to kind of get quirky or cute, but God wants us to remember his word. 
Uh, you go back to the Old Testament, and there's things about writing it on your foreheads. Now, there's a couple of tattoo places just down King Street, but maybe this will impress your mum a little bit more, okay? Uh, and if you're not married, you've probably got more chance of getting a partner if you don't tattoo on your forehead. Anyway, let's look now then at chapter 22. And, and as we do that, I, I think that there's probably some issues here for us uh, that we've touched on along the way. And, and that is, Revelation's kind of difficult. Uh, it's a strange book to teach to others. Uh, we've been looking at the opening couple of chapters in a Bible study in my church, and there's a young woman coming along to Bible study who's not only never looked at Revelation, she's actually never looked at the Bible. And so when we say Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, she doesn't know what we mean. So kind of week to week, Fiona or I will sit beside her and we'll go, that means you've got to turn to page 25. And we'll help her to grapple with these things. But there's going to be some parts of the Bible that, depending on who we're ministering to, we're likely to avoid. We'll, we'll pick and choose, perhaps, and sometimes it might be to do with a sensitivity to the issues. Uh, it's just a little bit difficult. It's, it's going to cause a bit of angst. Uh, if we're sharing with friends, perhaps, who've, who've been involved in the homosexual community, there's going to be some things where we bristle as we talk about this topic. Well, let's not avoid revelation. Let's not leave it out of our ministry. In fact, I I want to quote from Martin Luther at this point. Um, A little bit scared to do so, but he says about this book of the Revelation of John, this is in his preface uh, to the translation of Revelation, he says, I leave everyone free to hold his own opinion. Uh, I would not have anyone bound by my opinion or judgment And it's important that he says that because of what he goes on to say. And that is, he says that he cannot see that this has come from the Spirit of God at all. Now, I don't think that this is one of Martin Luther's finest moments. Uh, He finds it impossible to accept that God would communicate a vision of Jesus using images and symbols in this way. And so he would prefer to go to the clear teaching of the Gospels to proclaim Christ. Now, I get that. I really do. But I hope, and I hope as we look at this last section, that we'll be reminded that what we're dealing with here is, in fact, the word of the Lord. And you've all proclaimed that already this morning. So let's have a look and be reminded. And I'm not going to start in chapter 22. I'm going to start in chapter 1. Because what you'll see in the introduction gets reinforced in the conclusion And I want to point out five things about the book of Revelation. And they have to do with what it is and where it comes from and what it does. So the first thing we see in this book is that it is, in fact, Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. This comes from whom? Well, it comes from John. Who did John get it from? Well, he got it from the messenger or the angel. Who did the angel get it from? Well, he got it from Jesus. And where did Jesus get it from? Well, God gave it to him. There's a chain here that takes us back to the divine origin of the book of Revelation. This is God's revealed will. This is God showing reality. 
This is pulling back the veil and helping us to understand the reality of God, the reality of life. In fact, we get to understand ourselves better as we look at God's word. It's revelation. The second thing that we see, verse 2, who testifies, it is John, testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Second thing, revelation, testimony. See, this is a testimony that John passes on because it's what he's seen, it's what he's heard. But prior to that, there's the revelation that is the testimony of Jesus, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, which we understand is really focused upon the gospel. This is a gospel book. Jesus, we'll see, is central. It's his testimony to us, both of him and from him. Thirdly, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Prophecy. This word is a word of prophecy. Does it have to do with the future? Well, yes, it does. But I need to say it also has to do with the past and the present. And it's not the category of the future that makes it prophecy. It's prophecy because of where it came from and what it's for. It comes from God. In fact, I think if you want a good definition of prophecy, you can't do much better than to go back to the book of Exodus. And I just want to read this to you. If you've not stumbled across this verse, I found it incredibly helpful right through my ministry. It's in Exodus chapter 7. And you might remember that God has called Moses to take a message to Pharaoh And then Moses says to God, what do you want me to do that for? Because I don't talk real good. And so God says this to him, uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. You see what prophecy is there, don't you? The the prophet is the one who takes the message from the giver, God, and passes on to the one that God wants to hear it. That's all it's saying here, I take it. That, That John has been given a message from God that he is to pass on to those who need to hear it. It's a word of prophecy. It's where it comes from. It's who it's going to. It's what it's for. This is a prophecy that needs to be heard. It's a prophecy that if we read it and heed it, we'll be blessed. Not only is it a prophecy, but come down to verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And he goes on later to talk about who these seven churches are in verse 11. What is it? It's a letter. It's a long letter. But it's a letter to these seven churches. And of course, in the book of Revelation, numbers are very powerful. And I take it this isn't all the churches that were in the province of Asia. We know that there were others, including the Colossians. No, this is a letter to the church, to the churches, to all churches. But it's a letter. It's a communication that comes with a purpose. And when we see that it's a letter, we recognise that it's a letter that doesn't simply come from a man, John, 
but it's actually from God, it's from the Lord Jesus Christ, it's from the seven or sevenfold spirit, it's from the spirit of God who speaks to the churches and therefore we, if we have an ear, need to hear. See, this is God speaking. This is God passing on a letter that was read then, read aloud, that's the way they read, and the reader and the hearer, if they put into practice, receive the blessing of God. Implications for how we tackle this letter, aren't there? How we communicate this letter, how we pass it on ourselves. And this is a letter for personal and practical and pastoral purpose. So I didn't mean four Ps there. You don't have to remember those ones, but that's what it is. It's a real letter and it's got to have meant something to the people who first heard it. Don't get sucked into this idea that there are things that are only relevant to the, to the 21st century because that's been said in every century. It's just that we're a little bit egocentric. That's all that it means. No, this is a letter that had significance back then but it still has significance right now. This is not simply for study in a master's degree. This is not simply for intellectual fascination. This is not the book for those who like cryptic crosswords. No, this is the book for pastoring people. And I've said it's a book, haven't I? That's the last thing that gets said here in this opening chapter. It is, in fact, a book or a, a biblion. It's a scroll, but it's a unit. Right? It's to be read as a whole. It's, it's been packaged together for a purpose. And, and the more you kind of get into this book, the, the more dangerous you discover it is just to take one verse or one section and look at it in isolation. I take it that what we've got here is a cycle of, of God's word that kind of keeps getting deeper and richer and, and we've got reinforcement going on again and again and, and ideas that get preempted but then explained and there's all sorts of connections in this book, not least you will see between the beginning and the end. This is something that we are called by God to read and to be read as a whole. Why? So that we can know Revelation better? No. So that we can know the Bible better? No. I hear people saying that far too often. I want to know the Bible better. It's not an end. It's a means. A means to knowing God better. My dad actually wrote a book, a a kind of, uh, what do they call when you talk about your life? Whatever it is. A memoir. It's on the front cover, I should realise. He wrote a memoir. And I have read it. Right? He talks about... His life from before he was born right through to a couple of years ago when he finished it. He's still alive. I've read it. I should read it again. Not so that I'll be able to quote the memoir. Not so that I'll be able to comment on the literary structure of his words. But so that I might know him better. And while my mum has passed away, that I'll actually know her better. And you know what? That I'll know me better. I'll know me better as I read that memoir. In fact, when I read it, I discovered that my parents had a profound incident in their life that they never talked about and had never told me about in over 50 years. And that is that I nearly died in the womb and they had to operate. And this is back in 1962 in order to preserve my life and the life of my mother. I never knew that. Friends, let's read this that we might know God better. Now, I am going to speak on chapter 22, and I know that you don't like morning tea, so that's okay. Um, (laughs) We'll go through it quickly. See, I I want us to see here that when we get to the end of these words, we actually don't get anything new. 
We, we tie together what has been and what has been is articulated right through this book of Revelation and it was introduced at the start. So it, here's a great example of a good essay, all right? I didn't say that was one of the things. There were five things, weren't they? Revelation, testimony, prophecy, letter, book. Here we see it. We see it all again. Um, first of all, verse 6, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It's revelation. The word's not used in this verse, but that's what it is. It's God passing on to show. God is making these things known. There's divine inspiration here, and therefore, it's truth. And therefore, it's trustworthy. We need to get into God's word. We need to be people of God's word who trust God's word. God shines a light into our experience. God opens up the veil and helps us to understand our world. Interesting that that verse 5 just before said there'll be no more night. They, They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's a picture of the end, but God does that for us through his word now. He shines a light, a light for our path because it's revelation from God. Secondly, it's... It's prophecy, but it's, it's prophecy in a book or in a scroll. Um, we, we see this language again and again right through. So verse 7, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll or book. Um, it's the same as what we saw back at the start. You see those words again down in verse 10, the words of the prophecy of this scroll. You see them again and again and again and again in verses 18 and 19. It's a a book of prophecy. It's a book of God's message to be passed on. That's what we're dealing with. God has a message for his people. He had for them. He has for now. He has for you. He has for me. He has for those that we minister to. From God, he's got a message. He wants this message to be spoken, to be read, to be communicated and to be heeded. God gives us his word of prophecy. And and this message is something that we need to grab hold of. The language of keeping this word of the prophecy written in this scroll. Take hold of God's word. God's word that strengthens, God's word that encourages, God's word that comforts, God's word that directs, God's word that shines a light. Grab hold of it. It's a powerful thing that God does in communicating his word to us. It is a a prophecy in this book. And, And because this has come from God, to be passed on it needs to be passed on faithfully. You want the track record of what happens to Prophets who don't pass on God's word, people who pass on other words, people who cut out parts of the word, people who add to the word. You can see it right through the scriptures. And so we've got this reminder here when it comes to Revelation, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. See, we must not add to the book of Revelation. Why? Because it's the word of God. Therefore, 
whilst I think this is talking about revelation, it's true for the whole of Scripture. We're not at liberty to add to God's word. We need to be very careful that we stand against those who would add to God's word. Because who are we to improve on God? And when we add to God's word, we implicitly devalue God's word. That is, we slip into that view that, well, John had a few ideas, so did Paul, so did Peter, so did some of the prophets in the Old Testament, and hey, so do I. We devalue the word of God and we elevate ourselves into the place of God and we must not do that. And there's no life to come from that, is there? We can't bring life to people, but the word of God can. And so, in verse 19, if anyone takes away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. I I remember my first NIV Bible with the last page falling out. I was a bit worried, really. But I didn't have to worry because those words weren't there anymore. (laughs) No, that's not saying that, is it? It's talking about false teachers. It's talking about bewaring those who will take out from the word of God. Revelation, yes, but any part of God's word. And the reason is it is God's word. And we are not free to cut and paste. That is not an option. We take away from God's word and we take away from God. We take away from life. We take away people's hope. And we lead people into error. And we must not do that. And it's not simply a matter of looking back through church history and seeing those who wrote against or those who added things to. I think it would be good for us to actually analyse, and he can probably only do this over time, what gets our attention from the scriptures. What do we overemphasize? What do we underemphasize? Where do we add too much of me? And where do we avoid preaching on? I remember I grew up in the Methodist and the Uniting Church, and I trained as a lay preacher while I was at university. And I was asked in my first sermon to preach on the lectionary. And I noticed that in the lectionary, it had actually skipped over 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So it went through chapter, sorry, went through all the chapters of 1 Thessalonians, skipped over chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians and picked it up after that. So I preached my first sermon on 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Why was it avoided? Well, it's pretty harsh. It talks about being shut out of the presence of God if you do not know God and do not obey the gospel. We're not at liberty to do that. It, it's... It would be like, if I can go back to the image from the other day, me systematically walking around North Queensland and the Northern Territory and the Kimberley and removing every crocodile sign. That's what it would be like. It would lead to the death and destruction of those who were not warned, who were unaware of the dangers to come. There is a hell and there'll be hell to pay. There is a heaven And it is our hope for all eternity if we come to Christ. Don't mess with these things. Not only is it it a book of prophecy, 
but it's also tests me. I'm not going to be able to deal with every sentence here. I, I know that I don't have the time to do that, and I'm happy to come back to some of these things if you'd like me to later. But we see it's testimony, and at its very heart, it is testimony. The testimony of John, we've seen, I, John, verse 8, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, and, uh, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship. Um, you, you see testimony stuff here, don't you? Here is the guy who hears and he sees. And so he passes on. He's a witness. He's testifying to this. But it's not ultimately John's testimony, it is Jesus. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. This is the testimony of Jesus. In chapter 22, we're reminded again and again and again where all this comes from. This comes from our Lord and Saviour. This comes from our God. And there's a purpose in this testimony. The purpose, well, it's, it's pretty obvious when you look at John's response because he almost gets it right. He almost gets it right. Verse 8, And when I'd heard and seen them, I fell down to worship. And you think, yes. But then you read at the feet of the angel, at the feet of the messenger, who'd been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Now, if you've been working through Revelation, you might think he's a slow learner uh, because the same thing happens back in chapter 19. And it might be, it might be just hearing that word of God leads him to fall down before the messenger. And there's perhaps a lesson in that for us as preachers, for us as leaders. But... I wonder whether in Revelation the fact that you've got overlaying levels and cycles and backwards and forwards, whether it's the same thing as what we see in chapter 19, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is the purpose of the testimony of Jesus is to lead to worship of God and no one else, no other thing, no person, no substance, not ourselves, just God. So when we meet Jesus, we are invited into the presence of God to worship him. And God is giving us that privilege. And we've not earned it. We've not achieved it. It's come from the lamb who has been slain so that we might worship God. Isn't it interesting that as you look at this testimony of Jesus... Right through the book of Revelation, he is pictured as the lamb who has been slain. Yes, there are other images. They're glorious, kingly images. There's powerful, conquering images. There's so many rich metaphors from the Old Testament brought together. But we see the lamb who has been slain. For that is our access to worship. That's always been the access to worship. Yes, it was prefigured through lambs constantly being slain so that people might go into the Holy of Holies. But now the picture is of, you know, the Holy Holies was a cube. It was 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. Now the whole of the city is 12,000 cubits by 12, no, stadia. I don't know, one of those things. I don't know how many stadia it is to Port Macquarie, so it doesn't worry me too much. But I do know that it's, it's access for all through the saving sacrifice of Jesus. 
And we see here that, that this testimony actually reminds us of things of Jesus. Just quickly, verse 13, here's a picture of God, but it's Jesus. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. Who is this one? Well, he is our God from beginning to end for all eternity. This is our God, Jesus. We see that he is our Messiah. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. This is the one who was promised. Jesus is our saviour. He is our Messiah, King. We see also as we look closely at these words of Jesus that, that John is just fixated upon him. And we are called to, to actually keep our eyes on Jesus, only and always on Jesus. Yes, it's unusual language, um, the style, the genre, uh, the images, the symbols, the numbers, the colours, the, the pictures. It is unusual, but there's no doubt that Christ is in this book. I, I don't get Luther on that point. I actually don't. Christ is in this book. It's his testimony ever so clearly. It just means that we need the whole of Scripture to get it. That's our control. God's word from beginning to end. And not only is it testimony... But it's a letter. Verse 21, look at how it finishes. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. It's been a letter throughout. It's not just verses, well, chapters 2 and 3, the, the, the letter that goes to the Laodiceans, to Sardis, Pergamon and so on. It's a letter. Um, John introduces it before that, back in chapter 1. It finishes here in verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And it's a letter that comes with a message of urgency. Verse 6, the things that must soon take place. Verse 7, look, I am coming soon. Verse 10, because the time is near. Verse 12, look, I am coming soon. The picture here of Jesus sending by his angel a testimony to the churches. It's a letter that we're dealing with, a letter of urgency. Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. And what is the response to that? Well, John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That is our response. Our response is, is to call upon our Lord and Saviour. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Here we see John, come Lord Jesus. Bring it on. Bring it in. Bring us in. Let us be with you. That's what we look forward to. That's what drives our mission. Come Lord Jesus. And there's actually a little more to this response as well, because look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. The bride, as well as the spirit, say, come. Who are they saying, come to? And let the one who hears say, come. Maybe here is the response of the spirit and the bride and those who might hear this message to Jesus to come. 
I don't know. Because look at the next part of the verse. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I imagine it's probably both. Yes, we, we cry out, come Lord Jesus. Yes, we pass that message on to others that they might cry out, come Lord Jesus. But who is it that's going to make that cry? It's those who have been invited to come and partake of the water of life, to have access to the tree of life. There's actually a mission built into this last chapter. God is inviting us to share with him and God uses us as people who pass on his divine revelation, as people who testify to the testimony of Jesus, as people who take hold of his word as prophecy to be communicated, who recognise it's got to be taken as a whole in this scroll or book, as, as people who see this as a letter of urgency, we're called and we call to Jesus and we call to others to come. My prayer is that as we've been refreshed looking at Revelation, that, that God will inspire our mission for the glory of his Son. That's what he's on about, that our mission might be his mission. And, and I want to leave you with three responses. The first is to be hopeful or to make it a little stronger, to be hope-filled to actually look ahead, to, to keep the end in view. Don't get caught up in the mundane. Don't get distracted by the urgent and avoid the important. No, because we have the word of God telling us what matters, let's keep going back there so that we might keep looking forward. Be hope-filled, friends. This is not all there is. God's revelation shows us that the length of our life is really brief and that Jesus is coming back really soon and so it's ahead that we need to look. Keep doing that. Keep your hope on the promises to come. And if you do, there'll be blessing now. There'll be blessing now. Blessed are those who read the word, who hear the word, who heed the word. They'll be blessed. It's actually the best way to live in the meantime as we look forward in hope. Secondly, be humble. Revelation's not about you. The Bible's not about you. This world is not about you. This life you have, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Be humble. Keep Jesus in your vision. He is God. He is King. He is Saviour. Worship Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. It's only His blood that brings you life. And He offered His blood that you might have life. What a wonder. What a humbling thing that our mighty Creator should become one of us, that He might redeem us for all eternity. Friends, that should lead us to be humble and, and to be humble before his word, to submit to it and to trust it and, and to accept it as authority no matter what things might pull us away from that or in different directions, 
to be humble in prayer on our knees before God. Come, Lord Jesus. And to be humble in sharing this message with those around about us. For it's not us imposing anything on another. It's helping to open their eyes to reveal the truth. That's what it is. To be hopeful, to be humble, and I could be really clever and start something with an S now, couldn't I? But no, another H, to be hungry. I think this adds a, a, a kind of electricity. This sparks things. There's an urgency, there's an importance. This is, this is not, oh yeah, I'll dabble into a little bit of revelation. No, this is hardcore, this is full on, this is intense. So be hungry. Be hungry for God, first and foremost for his glory. Let that matter. Let it grip your heart and your soul. To be hungry, to be hungry for, for heaven. Can you say, in all honesty, like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's better. Look, it's a problem for us. As Chapo said, if there's a heaven, it can't be that much better than Australia, can it? Way better. And he knows that now. I'm sure he knew it then. Way better. Be hungry for that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And that means that you'll be willing to give up your life now, that you might gain it. Be hungry. And be hungry for others to know. Be hungry for those in your family to know the truth. Let your heart be broken, that you might be hungry in sharing the message to those at work, to those at college. There has been students who've come to this place not knowing the Lord Jesus, but who've left with the gates open to eternal life. Let's share the message with those in our churches, in our neighbourhoods. Let's reach Australia for Christ. Let's evangelise. Let's plant churches. Let's be prepared to sacrifice. Let's look across the oceans. Let's look to the nations. Let's be reminded that we have a vision of people from every tribe and people and language and nation gathered around the throne, worshipping God and the Lamb. Let's listen to God's Spirit. Let's be driven to serve. I want so many people to hear the eternal gospel and be saved. And yet I get so distracted in the day-to-day. I need the revelation of God. And so do you. Let's pray. Our Father, there's just one thing that we want to pray now. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.